Part seven of Hard Times by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. From Household Words, a weekly journal, Saturday, May the thirteenth, eighteen fifty four. Chapter thirteen. A candle faintly burned in the window to which the black ladder had often been raised for the sliding away of all that was most precious in this world to a striving wife and a brood of hungry babies and stephen added to his other thoughts the stern reflection that of all the casualties of this existence upon earth not one was dealt out with so unequal a hand as death the inequality of birth was nothing to it for say that the child of a king and the child of a weaver were born to-night in the same moment what was that disparity to the death of any human creature who was serviceable to or beloved by another while this abandoned woman lived on from the outside of his home he gloomily passed to the inside with suspended breath and with a slow footstep he went up to his door opened it and so into the room quiet and peace were there rachel was there sitting by the bed she turned her head and the light of her face shone in upon the midnight of his mind she sat by the bed watching and tending his wife that is to say he saw that someone lay there and he knew too well it must be she but rachel's hands had put a curtain up so that she was screened from his eyes her disgraceful garments were removed and some of rachel's were in the room everything was in its place and order as he had always kept it and the little fire was newly trimmed and the hearth was freshly swept it appeared to him that he saw all this in Rachel's face, and looked at nothing besides. While looking at it, it was shut out from his view by the softened tears that filled his eyes, but not before he had seen how earnestly she looked at him, and how her own eyes were filled too. She turned again towards the bed, and satisfying herself that all was quiet there, spoke in a low, calm, cheerful voice. "'I'm glad you've come at last, Stephen.' you're very late i've been walking up and down i thought so but tis too bad a night for that the rain falls very heavy and the wind has risen the wind true it was blowing hard hark to the thundering in the chimney and the surging noise to have been out in such a wind and not to have known it was blowing i've been here once before to-day stephen landlady came round for me at dinner-time there was someone here that needed looking to, she said. Indeed, she was right. All wandering and lost, Stephen. Wounded, too, and bruised. He slowly moved to a chair and sat down, drooping his head before her. I came to do what little I could, Stephen. First, for that she worked with me when we were girls both, and for that you courted her and married her when I was her friend. He laid his furrowed forehead on his hand with a low groan. And next that i know your heart and i am right sure and certain that tis far too merciful to let her die or even so much as suffer for want of aid thou knowest who said let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone at her there have been plenty to do that thou art not the man to cast the last stone stephen when she's brought so low oh rachel rachel thou's been a cruel sufferer heaven reward thee she said in compassionate accents i am thy poor friend with all my heart and mind 
the wounds of which she had spoken seemed to be about the neck of the self-made outcast she dressed them now still without showing her she steeped a piece of linen in a basin into which she poured some liquid from a bottle and laid it with a gentle hand upon the sore the three-legged table had been drawn close to the bedside and on it there were two bottles this was one it was not so far off but that stephen following her hands with his eyes could read what was printed on it in large letters he turned of a deadly hue and a sudden horror seemed to fall upon him i will stay here stephen said rachel quietly resuming her seat till the bells go three tis to be done again at three and then she may be left till morning but thy rest again to-morrow's work me dear i slept sound last night i can wake many nights when i'm put to it tis thou who art in need o rest so white and tired try to sleep in th chair there while i watch thou hadst no sleep last night i can well believe to-morrow's work is far harder for thee than for me he heard the thundering and surging out of doors and it seemed to him as if his late angry mood were going about trying to get at him she had cast it out she would keep it out he trusted to her to defend him from himself she don't know me stephen she just drowsily mutters and stares i've spoken to her times and again but she don't notice tis as well so when she comes to her right mind once more i shall have done what i can and she never the wiser how long rachel it's looked for that she'll be sore doctor said she would aptly come to her mind to-morrow his eyes again fell on the bottle and a tremble passed over him causing him to shiver in every limb she thought he was chilled with the wet no he said it was not that he had had a fright a fright ay coming in when i were walking when i were thinking when i it seized him again and he stood up holding by the mantel-shelf as he pressed his dank cold hair down with a hand that shook as if it were palsied stephen she was coming to him but he stretched out his arm to stop her no don't please don't let me see thee settin by the bed let me see thee all so good and so forgiving let me see thee as i see thee when i come in i can never see thee better than so never 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 he had a violent fit of trembling and then sunk into his chair after a time he controlled himself and resting with an elbow on one knee and his head upon that hand could look towards rachel seen across the dim candle with his moistened eyes she looked as if she had a glory shining round her head he could have believed she had he did believe it as the noise without shook the window rattled at the door below and went about the house clamouring and lamenting when she gets better stephen tis to be hoped she will leave thee to thyself again and do thee no more hurt anyways we will hope so now and now i shall keep silence for i want thee to sleep he closed his eyes more to please her than to rest his weary head but by slow degrees as he listened to the great noise of the wind he ceased to hear it or it changed into the working of his loom or even into the voices of the day his own included saying what had been really said even this imperfect consciousness faded away at last and he dreamed a long troubled dream he thought that he and someone on whom his heart had long been set but she was not rachel and that surprised him even in the midst of his imaginary happiness 
stood in the church being married while the ceremony was performing and while he recognized among the witnesses some whom he knew to be living and many whom he knew to be dead darkness came on succeeded by the shining of a tremendous light it broke from one line in the table of commandments at the altar and illuminated the building with the words they were sounded through the church too as if there were voices in the fiery letters upon this the whole appearance before him and around him changed and nothing was left as it had been but himself and the clergyman they stood in the daylight before a crowd so vast that if all the people in the world could have been brought together into one space they could not have looked he thought more numerous and they all abhorred him and there was not one pitying or friendly eye among the millions that were fastened on his face he stood on a raised stage under his own loom and looking up at the shape the loom took and hearing the burial service distinctly read he knew that he was there to suffer death in an instant what he stood on fell below him and he was gone out of what mystery he came back to his usual life and to places that he knew he was unable to consider but he was back in those places by some means and with this condemnation upon him that he was never in this world or the next through all the unimaginable ages of eternity to look on rachel's face or hear her voice wandering to and fro unceasingly without hope and in search of he knew not what he only knew that he was doomed to seek it he was the subject of a nameless horrible dread a mortal fear of one particular shape which everything took whatsoever he looked at grew into that form sooner or later the object of his miserable existence was to prevent its recognition by any one among the various people he encountered hopeless labour if he led them out of rooms where it was if he shut up drawers and closets where it stood if he drew the curious from places where he knew it to be secreted and got them out into the streets the very chimneys of the mills assumed that shape and round them was the printed word the wind was blowing again the rain was beating on the housetops and the larger spaces through which he had strayed contracted to the four walls of his room saving that the fire had died out it was as his eyes had closed upon it rachel seemed to have fallen into a doze in the chair by the bed she sat wrapped in her shawl perfectly still the table stood in the same place close by the bedside and on it in its real proportions and appearance was the shape so often repeated he thought he saw the curtain move he looked again and he was sure it moved he saw a hand come forth and grope about a little then the curtain moved more perceptibly and the woman in the bed put it back and sat up with her woeful eyes so haggard and wild so heavy and large she looked all round the room and past the corner where he slept in his chair her eyes returned to that corner and she put her hand over them as a shade while she looked into it again they went all round the room scarcely heeding rachel if at all and returned to that corner he thought as she once more shaded them not so much looking at him as looking for him with a brutish instinct that he was there that no single trace was left in those debauched features or in the mind that went along with them of the woman he had married eighteen years before but that he had seen her come to this by inches he never could have believed her to be the same all this time as if a spell were on him 
he was motionless and powerless except to watch her stupidly dozing or communing with her incapable self about nothing she sat for a little while with her hands at her ears and her head resting on them presently she resumed her staring round the room and now for the first time her eyes stopped at the table with the bottles on it straightway she turned her eyes back to his corner with the defiance of last night and moving very cautiously and softly stretched out her greedy hand she drew a mug into the bed and sat for a while considering which of the two bottles she should choose finally she laid her insensate grasp upon the bottle that had swift and certain death in it and before his eyes pulled out the cork with her teeth dream or reality he had no voice nor had he power to stir if this be real and her allotted time be not yet come wake rachel wake she thought of that too she looked at rachel and very slowly very cautiously poured out the contents the draught was at her lips a moment and she would be past all help let the whole world wake and come about her with its utmost power but at that moment rachel started up with a suppressed cry the creature struggled struck her seized her by the hair but rachel had the cup stephen broke out of his chair rachel am i waking or dreaming this dreadful night tis all well stephen i've been asleep myself tis near three hush i hear the bells the wind brought the sounds of the church clock to the window they listened and it struck three stephen looked at her saw how pale she was noted the disorder of her hair and the red marks of fingers on her forehead and felt assured that his senses of sight and hearing had been awake she held the cup in her hand even now i thought it must be near three she said calmly pouring from the cup into the basin and steeping the linen as before i am thankful i stayed tis done now when i've put this on there and now she's quiet again the few drops in the basin i'll pour away for tis bad stuff to leave about though ever so little of it as she spoke she drained the basin into the ashes of the fire and broke the bottle on the hearth she had nothing to do then but to cover herself with her shawl before going out into the wind and rain thou let me walk with thee at this hour rachel no stephen tis but a minute and i'm home thou not fear for he said in a low voice as they went out at the door to leave me alone wi' ye as she looked at him saying stephen he went down on his knee before her on the poor mean stairs and put an end of her shawl to his lips thou art an angel bless thee bless thee i am as i've told thee stephen thy poor friend angels are not like me between them and a working woman four faults there is a deep gulf set my little sister is among them but she is changed she raised her eyes for a moment as she said the words and then they fell again in all their gentleness and mildness on his face thou changest me from bad to good thou makst me humbly wish for to be more like thee and fear for to lose thee when this life is o'er and all th muddle cleared away thou'rt an angel it may be thou hast saved my soul alive she looked at him on his knee at her feet with her shawl still in his hand and the reproof on her lips died away 
when she saw the working of his face i come home desperate i come home without a hope and mad wi thinkin that when i said a word o' complaint i was reckoned an unreasonable hand i told thee i had had a fright it were the poison bottle on table i never hurt a living creature but happening so suddenly upon t i thought how can i say what i might have done to me sen or her or both she put her two hands on his mouth with a face of terror to stop him from saying more he caught them in his unoccupied hand and holding them and still clasping the border of her shawl said hurriedly but i see thee rachel settin by the bed i ha seen thee all this night in my troublous sleep i ha known thee still to be there evermore i will see thee there i never more will see her or think o her but thou shalt be beside her i never more will see or think o anything that angers me but thou so much better than me shalt be by th side on't and so i will try to look to the time and so i will try to trust to the time when thou and me at last shall walk together far away beyond the deep gulf in the country where thy little sister is he kissed the border of her shawl again and let her go she bade him good-night in a broken voice and went out into the street the wind blew from the quarter where the day would soon appear and still blew strongly it had cleared the sky before it and the rain had spent itself or travelled elsewhere and the stars were bright he stood bareheaded in the road watching her quick disappearance as the shining stars were to the heavy candle in the window so was rachel in the rugged fancy of this man to the common experiences of his life chapter fourteen time went on in coketown like its own machinery so much material wrought up so much fuel consumed so many powers worn out so much money made but less inexorable than iron steel and brass it brought its varying seasons even into that wilderness of smoke and brick and made the only stand that ever was made in the place against its direful uniformity louisa is becoming said mr gradgrind almost a young woman time with his innumerable horse-power worked away not minding what anybody said and presently turned out young thomas a foot taller than when his father had last taken particular notice of him thomas is becoming said mr gradgrind almost a young man time passed thomas on in the mill while his father was thinking about it and there he stood in a long tail-coat and a stiff shirt collar really said mr gradgrind the period has arrived when thomas ought to go to bounderby time sticking to him passed him on into bounderby's bank made him an inmate of bounderby's house necessitated the purchase of his first razor and exercised him diligently in his calculations relative to number one the same great manufacturer always with an immense variety of work on hand in every stage of development passed sissy onward in his mill and worked her up into a very pretty article indeed i fear jupe said mr gradgrind that your continuance at the school any longer would be useless i am afraid it would sir sissy answered with a curtsey i cannot disguise from you jupe said mr gradgrind knitting his brow that the result of your probation there has disappointed me has greatly disappointed me you have not acquired under mr and mrs machokum child 
anything like that amount of exact knowledge which I looked for. You're extremely deficient in your facts. Your acquaintance with figures is very limited. You are altogether backward and below the mark. I'm sorry, sir, she returned, but I know it's quite true. Yet I have tried hard, sir. Yes, said Mr. Gradgrind. Yes, I believe you have tried hard. I have observed you, and I can find no fault in that respect. Thank you, sir. I thought sometimes, Sissy, very timid here, that perhaps I tried to learn too much, and that if I'd asked to be allowed to try a little less, I might have... No, Jupe, no, said Mr. Gradgrind, shaking his head, in his profoundest and most eminently practical way. No, the course you pursued, you pursued according to the system, the system, and there is no more to be said about it. I can only suppose that the circumstances of your early life were too unfavourable to the development of your reasoning powers, and that we began too late. Still, as I have said already, I am disappointed. I wish I could have made a better acknowledgement, sir, of your kindness to a poor forlorn girl who had no claim upon you, and of your protection of her. Don't shed tears, said Mr. Gradgrind. Don't shed tears. I don't complain of you. You're an affectionate, earnest, good young woman, and we must make that do. Thank you, sir, very much, said Sissy, with a grateful curtsy. You are useful to Mrs. Gradgrind, and, in a generally pervading way, you are serviceable in the family also. So I understand from Miss Louisa, and indeed, so I have observed myself. I therefore hope, said Mr. Gradgrind, that you can make yourself happy in those relations. I should have nothing to wish, sir, if... I understand you, said Mr. Gradgrind. You still refer to your father. I have heard from Miss Louisa that you still preserve that bottle. Well, if your training in the science of arriving at exact results had been more successful, you would have been wiser on those points. I will say no more. He really liked Sissy too well to have a contempt for her. Otherwise he held her calculating powers in such very slight estimation that he must have fallen upon that conclusion. Somehow or other he had become possessed by an idea that there was something in this girl which could hardly be set forth in a tabular form. Her capacity of definition might be easily stated at a very low figure, her mathematical knowledge at nothing, yet he was not sure that if he had been required, for example, to tick her off into columns in a parliamentary return, he would have quite known how to divide her. In some stages of his manufacture of the human fabric, the processes of time are very rapid. Young Thomas and Sissy being both at such a stage of their working up, these changes were effected in a year or two, while Mr. Gradgrind himself seemed stationary in his course, and underwent no alteration, except one which was apart from his necessary progress through the mill. Time hustled him into a little noisy and rather dirty machinery, in a by-corner, and made him Member of Parliament for Coketown, one of the respected members for ounce weights and measures, one of the representatives of the multiplication table, one of the deaf honourable gentlemen, dumb honourable gentlemen, blind honourable gentlemen, lame honourable gentlemen, dead honourable gentlemen, to every other consideration. Else whereof live we in a Christian land, eighteen hundred and odd years after our master. All this while Louisa had been passing on, so quiet and reserved, and so much given to watching the bright ashes at twilight, as they fell into the grate and became extinct, 
that from the period when her father had said she was almost a young woman which seemed but yesterday she had scarcely attracted his notice again when he found her quite a young woman quite a young woman said mr gradgrind musing dear me soon after this discovery he became more thoughtful than usual for several days and seemed much engrossed by one subject on a certain night when he was going out and louisa came to bid him good-bye before his departure as he was not to be home again until late and she would not see him again until the morning he held her in his arms looking at her in his kindest manner and said my dear louisa you are a woman she answered with the old quick searching look of the night when she was found at the circus then cast down her eyes yes father my dear said mr gradgrind i must speak with you alone and seriously come to me in my room after breakfast to-morrow will you yes father your hands are rather cold louisa are you not well quite well father and cheerful she looked at him again and smiled in her peculiar manner i am as cheerful father as i usually am or usually have been that's well said mr gradgrind so he kissed her and went away so louisa returned to the serene apartment of the hair-cutting character and leaning her elbow on her hand looked again at the short-lived sparks that so soon subsided into ashes are you there lou said her brother looking in at the door he was quite a young gentleman of pleasure now and not quite a prepossessing one dear tom she answered rising and embracing him how long it is since you've been to see me why i've been otherwise engaged lou in the evenings and in the daytime old bounderby has been keeping me at it rather but i touch him up with you when he comes it too strong and so we preserve an understanding i say has father said anything particular to you to-day or yesterday lou no tom but he told me to-night that he wished to do so in the morning ah that's what i mean said tom do you know where he is to-night with a very deep expression no then i'll tell you he's with old bounderby they're having a regular confab together up at the bank why at the bank do you think well i'll tell you again to keep mrs sparsit's ears as far off as possible i expect with her hand upon her brother's shoulder louisa still stood looking at the fire her brother glanced at her face with greater interest than usual and encircling her waist with his arm drew her coaxingly to him you are very fond of me aren't you lou indeed i am tom though you do let such long intervals go by without coming to see me well sister of mine said tom when you say that you are near my thoughts we might be so much oftener together mightn't we always together almost mightn't we it would do me a great deal of good if you were to make up your mind to i know what lou it would be a splendid thing for me it would be uncommonly jolly her thoughtfulness baffled his cunning scrutiny he could make nothing of her face he pressed her in his arm and kissed her cheek she returned the kiss but still looked at the fire i say lou i thought i'd come and just hint to you what was going on though i supposed you'd most likely guess even if you didn't know i can't stay because i'm engaged to some fellows to-night you won't forget how fond you are of me no dear tom i won't forget that's a capital girl said tom good-bye lou she gave him an affectionate good-night and went out with him to the door whence the fires of coketown could be seen 
making the distance lurid. She stood there, looking steadfastly towards them, and listening to his departing steps. They retreated quickly, as glad to get away from Stone Lodge, and she stood there yet, when he was gone, and all was quiet. It seemed as if, first in her own fire within the house, and then in the fiery haze without, she tried to discover what kind of woof old time, that greatest and longest established spinner of all, would weave from the threads he had already spun into a woman. But his factory is a secret place, his work is noiseless, and his hands are mutes. End of part seven.